Hey, Katie. So I know hey, that in my world of software development, people use all sorts of different software development techniques, and one of them is agile programming. Uh, yeah, and if you're a data scientist who works in a software company, like many of them, maybe you have seen people using Agile, or maybe you've used it yourself. But data science work is a little bit different from software development work, and so uh, that's kind of the basis of a few interesting blog posts that we wanted to talk about this week. Onward we go. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So, you know, what's funny is despite Agile being, Agile software development being used pretty extensively in a lot of software development houses, I've never actually done it. I've never actually um, encountered it uh, in any of my working environments or anything. So I was just reading Wikipedia here. I, I imagine you probably know a bit more about this. Um, but I just wanted to read this lovely uh, sentence from the Agile Software Development Wikipedia page. It says, there is significant anecdotal evidence that adopting Agile practices and values improves the agility of software professionals, teams, and organizations, which feels like a kind of a silly statement. Um, but then it goes on to say, however, some empirical studies have found no scientific evidence. So this might be, this might improve things in a software development perspective, uh, but it also might just feel uh, improve the way it feels, you know, like certainly if you're going, if you're moving to something like Agile from not having a uh, regimented software development practice as a team, it's definitely, it definitely feels better to have something rather than nothing. Yeah. And the, so I'm, it sounds like maybe a little more familiar with Agile than you are because uh, my company does use it for software development. Uh, and so very often Agile is compared to waterfall uh, as sort of a project management technique. So the first thing I should say is that there's no single kind of Agile. There's like a, f a few different big mm. flavors uh, and then everybody kind of puts their own twist on it. But to give a simple example of how Agile is different from waterfall. So waterfall is remember when we worked at Udacity and we would be putting together a course and very often there was kind of this iterative process where we would write out what we wanted to teach someone, and then we would go into the recording studio. We would try recording it. Maybe it didn't quite land right, so we'd go back and we'd tweak yeah. it a little bit. We'd maybe show it to some people. And so there's kind of this idea that we were working in small pieces, and we had many pieces that were sort of in progress at the same time versus, like, I'm going to write the entire script of my entire class and only then will I begin recording, and then I will do all of my recording in one pass, and then I will stop recording, and then I will do all of my editing in one pass. That second one would be more like mm. Waterfall, where you have a bunch of big chunks of work versus uh, moving sort of in smaller pieces, but more iteratively. So that's a little bit uh, what Agile is like, is it tries to make it so there's... Uh, ways that you can move a little bit more quickly and then rules around or, or guidance around how you execute that work to to keep things moving and, and to ideally make sure that things don't get too off track or too bottlenecked mm. or anything Interesting. Like that. So while so then with Waterfall, as it's useful to separate out your project into phases, uh, Agile kind of allows you to interleave those phases a little bit more. Yeah, it tries to do that. And sometimes, you know, waterfalls inevitable because <laughs> there's just pieces that have right. dependencies on each other. But I think if you're 
if you are familiar with Agile, then you probably have all kinds of uh, nitpicks maybe with how we're describing it. And if you're not, you probably have no idea what we're talking about. So it's probably worth just giving a few examples of practices that folks use in Agile. And we'll talk about, in particular, this is a pretty good series of blog posts from a, a blog that I like called Locally Optimistic that uh, this one covers things that work well if you're a data scientist, things that you can borrow from agile software development that might be improvements to your data science practice. Cool. Let's dive in. So you said this is a trilogy. Uh, yeah. So the first one is about things that work well. The second one is about things that don't work well. And then the third one is kind of about adaptations that you can make to standard agile practices if you want to use them for data science. And so we'll focus on the first one in this in this conversation because I think there's enough to get into here that just explaining what agile is <laughs> might take plenty of time uh, but then in in follow-up episodes we'll cover some of the uh, some of the translation into data science there are like I said a bunch of different flavors of agile um, and we're, we won't get into all the different terminology and it, it can mm -hmm. go pretty deep um, but here are some examples of things that work well. So the first is that many agile practices follow what's called a sprint cadence. And so that's the idea that instead of having long periods where you're working on a part of a project, that instead you explicitly break up the work into shorter chunks, which are usually executed in periods of about two weeks or so. And so you're kind of thinking on a two-week cadence, just what am I going to get through in the next two weeks? And with a goal towards that might be a little bit longer term than that, but that you're only planning in general about two weeks ahead. Yeah, this can be really useful. Um, even, yeah, even aside from the utility that you get as a team, individually, this can be a really good way of breaking up your thoughts and breaking down prog uh, projects so that way you're, you're working on them in these manageable chunks. Totally. And it's also two weeks is, you know, it's a pretty nice mm -hmm. cadence for, uh, you know, stuff like having meetings. Another and thing. Thinking about your results. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at my work, we, do, we don't do Agile exactly, but we do break down things usually into about one week. And it's really nice to finish a week, to have a bad week, and then you come in the next week and you're starting kind of from the beginning. And you can kind of replan based on your bad week and everything. And it almost feels like you're hitting reset. Whereas I, I've, I've definitely been in projects where it has not been broken up into these smaller chunks and you're just kind of slogging through and you can almost have a bad week and that just kind of seeps into the rest of the project. Yeah, I think that stepping back is really important because especially in data science, it, it's possible that the goalposts can move as you're going. And to some extent, that's fine because you discover things as you go. But having, uh, having it kind of built into your workflow that you're going to periodically stop, reassess, redefine any goals if you want to, if you've learned something new and you want to change what you're doing, uh, that can be really helpful for uh, making sure that you don't go down rabbit holes because that's that's kind of a classic problem in data science actually is that you get kind of so obsessed with some particular little problem that you end up spending a month on it before you realize what's going on and if you had stopped to think about it you would have said like this is maybe this isn't a good use of my time so 
explicitly saying in two weeks, I need to be able to report out to my team or to my boss or whatever, what it is I've accomplished in those two weeks versus what it was that I said yeah. I would accomplish is a pretty good forcing mechanism. Yeah, it also sounds like you're saying that there's some amount of adaptive planning or uh, the other term that I found on Wikipedia that I like is evolutionary development uh, kind of built into Agile where you're not saying this is what the project will look like over the next six months. You're saying this is what the project roughly will look like over the next six months and I'll reevaluate in two weeks and four weeks and six weeks to see if we do still want to take this particular route. Yeah, which I think actually brings us pretty nicely to the second point that I want to talk about, which is acceptance criteria. Uh, and acceptance criteria is just a fancy way of saying what's the finish line. Uh, and so what that means is that very often when you're thinking about what am I going to do in the next two weeks, uh, to some extent you're saying kind of tactically what are the actual scripts I'm going to build or the bugs I'm going to chase down or whatever. But it should be building towards a, a set of acceptance criteria, which is basically when are you mm -hmm. done? And that should be and that should be expressed like there's a new capability. This usually in software, it's like we've expressed it in terms of there's a new uh, there's a new feature that we've added to the software, or there's a new piece of infrastructure that we've built, and it's sped something up, or it's gotten rid of some technical debt, or whatever. Those acceptance criteria saying at the beginning what success looks like is a pretty helpful forcing mechanism also, especially for things like those rabbit holes and things like that, because it helps keep you focused. Uh, all the work that you're doing toward, uh, or all the work that you're doing during that sprint should be contributing toward building towards that acceptance criteria. And, and that acceptance criteria, when you set it at the outset, it's hopefully something that's created with some positive outcome in mind. It's not just like, oh, we, we did some stuff, but it's, we made some actual mm -hmm. progress. Yeah. That almost sounds like setting goals, but setting goals for the next two weeks, not just setting goals for the entire project. Yeah, that's right. And so that's something that works pretty well for data science because it forces you in particular for data science, it forces you up front to think about what it is you're trying to accomplish with a piece of data work, like what insight are you trying to get or what's the business outcome that you're chasing. And I don't know, at least in my experience or in my opinion, data science is most effective when it's trying to solve a specific problem. So rather than, oh, we just want to learn a thing. It's like, why do you want to learn that? Or we want to make a, want to make a, some kind of deliverable. It's like, why do you want to make that deliverable? Like who's going to use it and what are they going to do with it? And so thinking about that, who's going to use it? What are they going to do with it? Why does this matter? That can be wrapped up in the acceptance criteria. And the thing that's nice about that is it gives you a lot of flexibility about how it is you want to actually execute your work during those two weeks. If things change, you can change your, your tactics, but it keeps you focused the whole time on what is that outcome? And am I generally moving in the right direction towards that outcome being achieved. Okay, so you're on a team, you come to that two-week or four-week or six-week mark, and let's imagine that certain people are saying, okay, I think we need to adjust course in this direction. And certain other people are saying, okay, we actually know we need to adjust course in this other direction. Uh, is, is there some sort of a hierarchy or certain roles? Or like, how, how do you deal with as a medium-sized team prioritization when you have differing opinions? I think that's a really good question. I mean, the first thing is to acknowledge that there's potentially 
different people that you need to get their input on what it is you're building. And that's not, that's not actually a trivial thing. Uh, it's really easy to go away in a corner and not touch base with the people that you're building this stuff for and then accidentally build the wrong thing. So you want to be in contact with the folks who are going to be using these things that you're building or the folks who need to understand these numbers that you're trying to pull for them or the models that you're trying to build or whatever. And so, you know, kind of typical like software dev shop term for this is stakeholders. These are the people who care about the thing that you're building. And so those can be internal folks like the sales team or who's trying to sell some product that you're building, or they can be uh, some internal team that you're building them a, a tool to help them do their job better with data science or whatever. Or they can also be external folks too. So uh, let's say you're building a recommendation engine that goes on a website, thinking about how uh, users of that website are actually making decisions and, you know, what do those folks want from the model? Like, you know, is it more important to them to have high precision or high recall, these kinds of things. And so explicitly setting up as part of your little sprint, sprint cadence or whatever, reporting back to different groups of stakeholders and doing that at a regular cadence so that they can tell you if what you're doing is correct. Cause like I said, it's really easy to kind of go off in a corner and build the wrong thing accidentally. And so anyway, who's in charge of making decisions? Well, that actually, I mean, that depends a lot on the, on the structure mm. of the team. If you have product managers, very often they make these kinds of decisions. But the thing about data scientists is that very often they're doing a fairly specialized kind of work that not everybody always understands. So in some ways they need to be in charge of prioritizing their own work. But the idea that you're explicitly holding yourself to, a, uh, to the expectation that you're getting input from a bunch of different people that for some data scientists is is a little bit a little bit novel one word that's used in the blog post is uh pointing and i don't really exactly like what what exactly is meant by the term pointing in agile ah yeah this is a really good question uh so pointing or also sometimes called story pointing uh this is an estimation technique about for how long you think something's going to take so have you ever had the experience where there's a thing that you set out to build and you think it's going to be pretty easy and then it turns out to be really hard and at the end you kind of think, huh, well, I didn't really predict that, but if I had stopped to think about it, maybe I could have. I've never had that experience. All of my time estimates are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you make, how do you make no, your time actually, estimates, Ben? That, I would love to know. It really is... It really is challenging in software development. Like, um, uh, I had the most trouble with it uh, when I was a freelancer because a company would say, okay, how long will it take you to build this or build that or whatever? And if I was just building something totally in a vacuum, then I had a difficult problem, which is guessing how, how long it would take not knowing what problems I would run into. But if I was building something that had any kind of dependencies on any other systems, uh, I had no idea because I, I didn't know what the complexities were. There were a lot of unknown unknowns. So um, time estimation is just difficult. And the, the I guess the thing that I always tell myself is it's okay to be wrong. As a freelancer, you typically want to be wrong one direction, not the other. You don't want to you know take way longer. So um, as a freelancer, I would always try to uh, under promise and over deliver. Yeah, don't want to get that backwards. Um, 
<laughs> but having a full-time job at a software development house, uh, it's a little bit easier because everybody, including all of the managers and, and everybody, all of my coworkers, we all kind of get it. You know, it's difficult to know what things will pop up and, um, you know, defeat you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, totally. And I totally agree that it's for someone who doesn't, who hasn't worked in software development before, it can be, it can be really hard to know, like to viscerally understand how challenging it can be sometimes to make these estimates. But nonetheless, you want to make estimates about how long mm -hmm. stuff is going to take because you need to tell people when you think it's going to be done. And you, you, this is really important. You need to know when it's running off the rails, right. like this is taking me two weeks and I thought it was going to take a day and this is, that means I need to take a step back. Anyway, so story pointing is one of the agile ways that you deal with this. And so the rough idea is that, uh, the work that you do, uh, at the beginning, you spell out the acceptance criteria. You say, this is what we're trying to build. And, and then you come up with the actual plan for breaking it into pieces. These are all the component pieces that once we've accomplished each one of them and maybe done some work tying them together and testing and documenting and whatever else, then we will have accomplished what we set out to do in our acceptance criteria. So now we've broken things down into individual task level. And each one of those tasks, you want to say how complex it is. And so that's what story points are supposed to capture. Is this supposed to be just a numerical estimate of how complex a task is supposed to be? And obviously that's related to how long it takes you to do it, but it's not exactly the same thing as how much time you think it'll take because time is dependent upon who's doing the task and whether they're distracted or not by other work that's popping up or whatever. So we're trying to just get a measure of complexity. And so story pointing, there's different conventions, but typically, you know, one story point might be one person days worth of work. And so something that's a relatively small task you could do in one story point or less. Um, but for stuff that's more complicated, it might take two or three or, and this is where it starts to get a little bit interesting. One of the conventions that, that's often followed in story pointing is they use what's called Fibonacci pointing. So the Fibonacci series is a series of numbers where each number in the series or in the sequence yeah, or, sequence well, series, um, Okay, each number in I the think. let's say sequence <laughs> uh, is the sum of the previous two. So it's one, two, three, five, eight. But Katie, 13, Katie it's 21. one, one, two, three. That first one is important That's true. to me, at least. Well, that doesn't make a ton of sense in this context. That's true. Because um, the idea is those are the units of story points that usually you do. Because you don't want to have people can can be not super productive to say, well, I think this is five story points and somebody else is like, I think this is six. You don't want to waste too much time having those kinds of dis discussions. But there is a big difference between three and five and five and eight. So that's what Fibonacci pointing kind of accomplishes. Oh, that's a really, that's so really anyway, cool. So everyone kind of decides, okay, yeah. yeah, this is this number, but the number has to be a Fibonacci number. Uh, yeah, so it's actually kind of a fun exercise. So we do this at the beginning of our sprints uh, at where I work and we actually have a special deck of cards and so what happens is all of the all of the developers are there the data scientists are there you know we go through the big stack of work that we have to do that week 
and usually one of the, the engineers or the data scientists describes each one of the tasks. People can ask any questions that they have. So we have kind of enough a, a rough idea of what's involved in that task. And then everybody has a set of cards in front of them, like playing cards. And we have a one, a two, a three, a five, an eight, a 13. And then sometimes there's a thing that says like, there's, there's joke ones too that say like a hundred, which is like, this is like who even knows infinity. And I think there's even one that says, that's a picture of a piece of cake. And it says this, this is less than one and we shouldn't even oh it's it's, it's, it's a piece of cake okay that's good (laughs) so everyone (laughs) everyone has their cards and you pick out the card that's your estimate of how hard that task is and then everybody flips them over at the same time so there's kind of this you avoid that well everybody else said yeah one but i thought it was a five so i'm just going to change my mind Uh, So everybody kind of flips their card over at the same time. And if there's big disagreements, you know, you have one person who says one, one person who says five, then you need to talk about it some more. That's really cool. But if everybody's, you know, twos and threes, then you, you know, if everybody agrees and it's easy and if, if not, then you figure out some way to break the tie. So anyway, at the end of that, you get hopefully a decent estimate of the relative complexity of these tasks. Of course, there's no guarantee that when you get in there and you start doing the work, it's going to be exactly what you thought. But it's a nice way of getting everyone's opinion and getting everybody kind of synced up on the first day about what it is y'all are working on. I like that a lot. Your crowdsourcing estimates. Yeah, story pointing is is actually really fun, I think. So anyway, uh, these are four big things. So let me just describe what this actually looks like in practice if you've never done this before. And uh, like I said, there's lots of different flavors on this. This is just kind of how we run it where I work. But at the beginning of the sprint, we will say what it is that we want to accomplish uh, during the next two weeks. And that's, like I said, ideally expressed in terms of some kind of acceptance criteria. So what does success look like at the end of two weeks if we've done what we want to do? Uh, And then we take that outcome and we turn it into discrete tasks that move us toward that outcome. Uh, We all get together in a room and we go through this story pointing exercise. We have an estimate of how long each of those things will take. And sometimes we have to bump things in and out of scope for that sprint because we're striving for that two-week period. So we have a rough idea of how much work we can get done in two weeks, a rough idea of how much work we've scoped, and then, you know, can add in or or take out a little bit of work to make sure that we're we're trying to be uh, as realistic as possible about what we can do. And then for the next two weeks, we just work on that as much as we can. And then at the end, ideally, you go back to your acceptance criteria and you say, did we do what we set out to do? If not, what about this went off the rails and do we need to make any adjustments before we start this again next week? Uh, And you show it to the folks who are going to be using this stuff. So you have that prioritization exercise with stakeholders or whatever, and you you tell them what it was you tried to do and you show them what it was you did and hopefully they really like it. They give you some some ideas for what you should do in the next round and then you start it all again. So there's a lot about that that transfers really nicely to a data science workflow. Obviously, building software is a little bit different from working on data science work, but each one of these you know, transfers fairly straightforwardly to data science. There are some aspects of agile that don't translate quite as well into data science workflows and we can we'll talk about those on a future episode um but 
If you're a data scientist and you've never heard of this or you've never tried it before and it sounds interesting to you, go ahead and, and run the experiment. As usual, we'll have links to this blog post from Locally Optimistic on LinearDigressions.com, and we'll have links to the other blog posts too so you can get a sneak preview of what's coming in uh, those future episodes. Software development practices are so important. They feel like they feel like the sea uh, with the waves crashing and receding every every two weeks or you know whatever the cycle is. Um, but it, it's interesting because if you think about, I've been thinking about software development from more meta levels as I become more of a senior engineer or more of an experienced engineer. So rather than thinking about the code I'm writing, I'm thinking about the way the components interact. But another meta level is thinking about the way that the people interact, right? The people on the team. And if you think about, in a non-dehumanizing way, if you think about each engineer as kind of a component in a complex system, a software development process is kind of creating some sort of a somewhat regimented but somewhat flexible, like for Agile, way for those components to interact and uh, cooperate and coordinate. And so in that way, it, it seems like a really important thing to at least consider and try out in, I would say, any team exercise. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.